Hello, and welcome to Over My Head, a look back at Pop's past, presented to you by Los Lovely Boys. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to get these episodes as they drop, and make sure that you review us anywhere that you can. It only helps us to become more famous. The music today for our podcast is provided to you by Friend of Yours. This is a podcast where we dissect all things pop from the recent past. Today, we are hoping to answer the all-important question, why did the song Cry Me a River by Justin Timberlake pop? This is episode five of our show, and as usual, I have my co-hosts, Chris and Stefan, with me. And guys, we have a really, really awesome song to break down today. We do. I, yeah, I have a joke for you. Oh, okay, yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm all ears. Okay, um, what is Justin Timberlake's favorite geographic feature in the country of Ukraine? What? Crimea River. I hate that. <laughs> well, that well, was pretty the, bad. And the other thing is, <laughs> Crimea is kind of in Russia now because they just annexed it. So the joke doesn't oh. stand anymore. Well, a little history there as well, too. I kind of like that. And he went for uh, it anyway. Yeah, geopolitical <laughs> issues. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. So uh, how's everyone been doing this past week? Uh, we've got a lot of... Uh, interesting music that's been dropping oh yeah definitely yeah we were up uh we were up last night discussing the new drake album yes chris well, and i were in the wee hours of last night discussing that album album with an asterisk it's not yeah great. i woke up last night at like 1 a.m um we we're recording this on friday and i was like what the heck is going on 528 messages so you guys had a lot to say about the mixtape album whatever you want to call it throwaways yeah throwaways we'll go with that yeah, I think Chris and I have been a fan of Drake since the beginning, and um, we've seen his career ebb and flow. And for me, it's a lot of the same in the past few years with bloated albums and the same lyric content, kind of boring mm. production. And this mixtape, I hope it's just B cuts, and I'm optimistic that the album will be better, but it has been kind of depressing so far. Yeah, I know that it's coming out. He said album coming summer 2020, which I know Drake likes to rule the summers, uh, uh, so to speak, when you kind of think of way he drops albums and everything. Uh, for those listeners who don't know, he Drake has dropped a lot of long projects over the past couple years, um, but that is all for streaming. So the more streams you get in total, more album sales you get. So that's probably why he's dropping those longer projects. But guys, when you like to kind of see him drop just like a 12 track like solid thing right yeah i would and that's why this is so frustrating because it's 14 songs and yet six of them are so boring that i forgot pretty much entirely how they go yeah what um, are some of our favorite ones off the album or the mixtape I, mean, I, I do like um <laughs> we we've discussed pain 1993 the playboy cardi song um and i mean playboy cardi's voice notwithstanding i i always love pierre bourne uh, every single thing that he is able to lay a beat under is generally at the very least enjoyable. Um, I don't, I, uh, I, I don't know what Playboy Cardi is doing with his, uh, with his voice, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I think that's, that is probably my favorite. And then the D4L, that one, that one's good. Yeah, so D4L is probably my favorite from what I've heard. I haven't listened to all of them, but um, I like that he named it D4L, obviously with having the two Atlanta rappers um, on there with him, with Young Thug and, and Future. But that is one of those things that maybe a little bit of a you know 
hey, D4L really paved the way. I know we talked about that in the first episode uh, with um, with TI and, and D4L and all them too, but that was probably my favorite. Uh, I think, Chris, you said that's going to be a club hit. Um, so whenever the better clubs be. open back up, that will be yeah, one that's probably say, played. Better be at that point. Um, yeah. I, I will also say that I I very much was um, very much was disappointed in the the song that obviously rips off Pop Smoke Demons. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I encourage all listeners to go ahead and listen to Dior by Pop Smoke instead of that song. Yeah, the New York Drill. Drake has a habit um, of biting other flows and i mean he he does make it work most of the time i will say whether that was on more life or even views with going more of like whiz kid style or with skepta um going uk grime style too so Stephen, do you have a song that that stuck out to you besides that demons 1993 and d4l yeah honestly it was d4l for me um anything with the features stood out when Drake was by himself, it was incredibly boring, and he was even overshadowed on the songs with the features. Yeah. Um, I did like the Pop Smoke song, but I think Chris and I discussed if you're going to make an homage to someone, it was nice he had you know his squad with him on that song, but it would have been nice to either blatantly call him out or include a snippet from his voice instead of just kind of leaving us to wonder, you know. Yeah, and yeah, R.I.P. to Pop Smoke. He was gone too soon, and has obviously influenced others and is an inspiration for others too. So I was just going to say, hopefully kind of like it did with WizKid, like it, at the very least it'll, it'll cause people to, you know, look into the origins a little bit. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of WizKid until, um, until Drake brought him kind of the forefront. So I'm, uh, so I'm hoping the same sort of effect would happen. Yeah, absolutely. Any other stuff that uh, dropped recently? I know we talked about the Scots last time. I've been bumping that a lot. Um, I'm still honestly listening to Blinding Lights by the weekend. I think that still might be one of the best, if not the best song that is um, maybe out right now. It is a bop. Yeah, I would agree. It's one of the best pop um, albums and singles that we've had probably in 2020. In terms of other stuff that I'm kind of revisiting that maybe didn't... um, get released last week tame impala i initially did not like their album or his album kevin parker's but it's grown on me a lot especially i told you in a quarantine uh setting um yeah it it became even more uh it became even more relevant (laughs) absolutely so that that slow rush yeah we said that someone just released a song named quarantine song who was that chris (laughs) no it's little baby (laughs) did a song called social distancing which i haven't oh social distancing not quarantine song my same same diff um, on there too so yeah and then I've, i highly also recommend uh rena sawayama's uh album i uh i've been i so that one came out two weeks ago at this point um but it kind of got overshadowed at first by fiona apple for me honestly but um kind of kind of listening back um uh stfu was the one that really caught my ear um and if if y'all haven't listened to it at all i would highly recommend it's very much influenced by a lot of the songs of this era um early 2000s that we're talking about um but then also i i will say she's probably equally as influenced by justin timberlake and britney spears as she was by system of a down and tool Wow. <laughs> it, it works it works it's very it's very cool it, it's one of those albums it's like okay 
definitely, definitely haven't heard this in a while. Definitely can feel someone just, you know, really being able to crack through to a musical idea that they've been trying to get to for a while. Absolutely. So, well, if you want to hear what we are listening to, we do have a Spotify playlist and we'll drop that in the uh, notes for the show notes. And we want you to, you know, maybe find some new songs or listen to songs that we're just listening to. Honestly, I listen to a lot of Kanye a lot, so they'll probably be on there. But even new songs, old songs, everything alike, we want to make sure that um, you have some, you know, tunes and some playlists to listen to so let's kind of dive right into everything as you all know by now you guys know the drill can't play the song for legal reasons but we want to make sure that you can listen to it get it back in your head if you haven't already so go listen to cry me a river by justin timberlake on youtube apple music spotify anywhere in between and on the other side we will break down everything surrounding the song history music production lyrics we got some segments for you afterwards too so listen and some notes that remind you of Crimea River, and we'll see you on the other side. Great, now we are back, so let's get into some reactions surrounding this song. Guys, this is a really woeful song. Uh, this is very sad, but also kind of, you know, you want to sing along to it too. So do we remember stuff surrounding this song? Heartbreak, sad memories, um, anything in between? Uh, heartbreak for sure. I mean, I think if you um, come out of a relationship where somebody has wronged you, it doesn't have to be necessarily cheating, can be cheating. It definitely applies to that. It can fit that mold. It's a great, one of the greatest breakup songs in history, right? So th- that's what I attribute it to as um, if you're having a falling out with somebody. And then yeah. other than that, it's a very interesting sounding song, almost evil. I think you said Toxic was menacing on the last episode. You can apply it to this one. The Timbaland production is really crisp and menacing. I was going to say, it's one of the most like dramatic pop songs that I can think of. I remember being young and like, this um so this song and then what goes around comes around when that came out were like always kind of uh i'm i'm going to this for a story you know like this is a little audio movie and that's a great point that you bring that up chris because it's kind of like that's what goes around comes around is almost like a part two to this song i kind of look at it like that um because you're like oh Mm -hmm. we're like you know i'm pissed and i'm mad um and heartbroken but then it's like hey what goes around comes around so it's like that kind of last slap in the face uh point of view and then and then the trilogy completes with mirror where he's talking about (laughs) uh, where he's coming at it from a more positive mature perspective yeah you grow up and you realize hey like i maybe that wasn't what life was meant for me to be and they all sound fucking amazing (laughs) (laughs) yes they do so um the thing that i think of with crimea river is that heartbreak so i actually listen to this song a lot after many a heartbreak but this is one of those songs that you would just come back to and you're like man i just want to listen to this in the shower and cry so i don't know whether the tears are running down or the water and that is what i've done many times actually the, uh, i used to listen to this song, song every time senior year of college before i went out uh on a night just to let out my woes and be like hey it's, it's gonna be okay uh all in the end but um I think hearing this back in 2003 um, was, you know, 
you don't think of it that way because you're like, oh, you know, it's a song. Maybe I don't know what it's about. And we're going to dive into what actually the song is and who it pertains to. Um, but I think as you get older, you realize, oh, there was a lot of emotion and a lot of heartbreak that was put into this song. Maybe not just in the lyrics, but you can hear it through the production, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very public affair, as we'll find out. It was very publicized. And uh, he's airing out the dirty laundry here. I think they call this genre of song Kiss Off. So it's kind of like you're, you're kissing off the person who wronged you. And that's really big in pop music to this day. Think of Ariana Grande. How many of Kiss Off songs does yeah. she have? So it evolved into Shade. Yes. And, and people love it. We're sipping tea and <laughs> nodding our heads to it. So it's something that's not going to go away. And this is an example of how it's timeless. Yeah, 100%. So, well, let's get into then some of that stuff that makes this song so emotional and so raw. So, Stefan, let's break it down um, all the way from the beginning with Justin Timberlake through what's kind of going on now even today. All right. Thank you, Anthony. So it's impossible to discuss Justin Timberlake's career without bringing up his early roots, and that includes being part of the largest, if not the second largest, boy band of all time in sync. So we'll start with the early roots. So as we mentioned on the previous episode with Britney Spears, he got his start in the all-new Mickey Mouse Club in the years of 1993 and 1994, where he was starring alongside his future lover, Britney Spears, who, spoiler alert, the song Crimea River is about. And what I didn't mention in last episode is that uh, he was also starring along his future bandmate, J.C. Chazé. I'm going to say that with a French accent. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but that's what I'm rolling with throughout the rest of this tidbit. So they get their start in the Mickey Mouse Club, and then NSYNC is eventually formed in 95. Now, how was it formed? Well, Chris Kirkpatrick of later Shiny Teeth and Me fame from the show Fairly Odd Parents. Classics. Chip Skylark himself, great song, great health PSA for the kids to brush their teeth. Highly recommend you check that song out. Anyway, he doesn't make the cut for Backstreet Boys. He really wants to be in a boy band, uh, Chip Skylark slash Chris Kirkpatrick. And he asks the manager, Lou Pearlman, what can I do? Uh, Lou Pearlman is like, I'll totally accept two boy bands. You just got to find me some more young male singers and dancers. And Chris Kirkpatrick is like, bet. So he uh, searches for some tapes, comes across Justin Timberlake's um, Mickey Mouse you know, performance, and he says, this guy's pretty good. I'll call him up. He calls Justin Timberlake up. Justin Timberlake's, yeah, I'll join. He's 14 years old. And he says, I will also bring along my friend JC. So there's three of the members of NSYNC. And then we also have, eventually, uh, Joey Fatone, Jason Galazzo, who would later drop out for Lance Bass, J.C. Chazé and J.T. himself, along with Chris Kirkpatrick, who organized them all together. Now, there's two tidbits I wanted to bring up about um, the formation of InSync. One is that uh, Justin Timberlake's mom actually created the name after seeing how in sync the boys all were dancing and singing together. You think of a boy band, they dance and sing in unison. It makes sense. The other is if you look at the spelling of InSync and S Y N C. Um, each of the letters is the last letter of the first name of each of the members. We've got a stretch here, but we've got just N for Justin Timberlake, Chris, the S for Chris Kirkpatrick, Jason, the N 
He was later replaced by Lance Bass. Joe E with a Y, and then JC to round out in sync. It, it, it's a stretch, wow. but, uh, but I guess it works. It works, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> nobody questions it. Now, Stefan, I want to kind of stop there for a sec. So you said that this group was formed and put together. That reminds me very much so of a group now that is now apart, but was once all separate and then got together thanks to Simon Cowell. Um, and that would be One Direction mm-hmm. um, on X Factor. They were all, you know, you know, they won it, and they're all separated and then won it all together. So kind of seems like a little formula. I know that pop music has that formula with, yep. you know, we kind of talked about with Britney. Of course, she was part of a formula, but um, kind of sounds very similar in what might happen to this day still. Not just in the in the 2000s or 90s. Yeah, when you think about boy bands, they each play a role. Like some guy's the bass singer, some guy's the alto. Um, maybe they don't work as individuals but when you blend them together in a group it kind of masks the weaknesses so yeah like with a show like um simon cowell had he assembled all the people who didn't win and created a super group and this is kind of you know chris kirkpatrick didn't necessarily make the cut for backstreet boys but he works in a different group where um his weaknesses are better covered up so going on um how did nsync actually make their start after they uh, are formed they go to sweden where all pop stars are made they actually work with Max Martin, who worked with Britney Spears, as we have mentioned. And they become pretty famous in Europe, kind of like the Beatles did when they had their start, you know, popping off in Germany before coming to the American market. But did they eventually get to the American market? Yes. And did they have huge success? Absolutely. They, uh, their first two albums, we have NSYNC in 1998 and No Strings Attached in 2000. Both are certified diamond albums, some of the best-selling albums in history. You have huge hits like Tearing Up My Heart, Bye Bye Bye, and It's Gonna Be Me. Now, listeners, I want to point out that today is May 1st. It's going to be May. It's going to be May. You're probably listening to this a few days later, but I'm going to guess it's probably still May. So it's fairly topical. You know it's been a while year when I barely heard anyone make that joke. (laughs) no, no No one did anything about it on social media April 30th. It's, it's just been that Yeah, wild. previous, like, if you were in the workplace, like, two weeks ago, somebody was making that joke mm-hmm. when they were planning for May. So, it, it's been weird. Wow, great planning on our end, right? Yeah, huge pat on our backs. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have this huge success with NSYNC. They're one of the top pop groups of all time. We get to their third and final album of Celebrity in July of 2001, and I want to pause here and kind of dissect what happened. This album was not as large of a commercial success, but it showed more growth, and that would eventually pave the way to Justin Timberlake becoming Justin Timberlake, or JT as we know it. So the group was kind of angry that critics did not consider No Strings Attached as artistic, you know, it's bubblegum pop, literally and figuratively choreographed, um, and they wanted to kind of show that they could blend more sounds and have more say in the direction of the music. So this is kind of similar to what we talked about in the last episode with Britney Spears when she had her third album, Britney. Um, They got a lot more involved with the co-writing and production. In fact, Justin Timberlake and his friend JC um, co-wrote 10 out of 13 songs on the album. And the biggest songs, including Pop and Girlfriend, kind of dealt with, you know, issues of fame and being in this limelight and trying to live up to all these expectations. So there's um, signs of maturity coming through. In addition to having more control, they also collaborated more. 
Um, you had BT kind of pioneered electronic music. Justin Timberlake directly reached out for him for a collaboration on pop. And you had the Neptunes who are involved in all two early 2000s pop in some way, whether it was directly or influencing that sound. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, the Neptunes is, you know, part of Pharrell. Pharrell is part of the Neptunes and it is his group in a sense. So a uh, lot of different sounds going on. Even to this day, they had um, Lemon with uh, Rihanna and they were Tyler the Creator and likes even to this day. So Pharrell was huge in the 2000s, 90s. And um, so working with them was a big stamp of approval and a big endorsement. Absolutely. Yeah. A huge name in pop music at the time and still almost two decades later. So Justin Timberlake approaches the Neptunes and, as we mentioned, BT. And a pop group approaching BT sounds very strange, and BT himself was confused, but he saw opportunity here. He kind of wanted to ensure the sound of their album was new school R&B, and he actually included the explicit term Timbaland-style beats. And that's going to come into play with Chris's segment. Spoiler alert, Timbaland is the producer of this song. We will get into that, but that was huge foreshadowing on his part. So JT himself wrote a lot of songs. One of these songs on the album is called Gone. He originally wrote that for Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson's camp denied it. NSYNC later releases it, and Michael Jackson calls him and he says, Justin, I would love to do this song, but as a duet with you. And Justin goes, why not with NSYNC? We can do a remix. And Michael Jackson kind of made it clear that he wanted to do it with Justin Timberlake, singular. So at this part, Justin Timberlake said in a recent interview, that is the moment he felt confident in going solo. So that is a huge turning point. That is why we have Justin Timberlake, JT, the artist, as one of the most successful pop singers of this decade. Thanks, Michael Jackson. Yeah, thank you for Justin Timberlake and all the music. All right, so yes, because of Michael Jackson, we have Justin Timberlake's idea of solo career planted on his head. So after the group goes on tour, earns a whopping $30 million from the celebrity tour alone, they decide to take a hiatus. Now, did they decide to take a hiatus because they were tired from earning $30 million or Justin Timberlake wanted to go on a solo career? We don't know, but I'm guessing it is the latter rather than the former. Timberlake was later quoted as saying, I felt like I cared more about the music than some of the other people in the group, and I felt like I had other music I wanted to make and that I needed to follow my heart. So to me, that sounds like Justin Timberlake was kind of spearheading the hiatus. So after the hiatus, we get very quickly moving toward the first album of Justin Timberlake's career, Justified. And this happens very quickly. In a matter of six weeks, we go from production to a final record. And he did this very collaboratively. He was listening to a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire and was inspired by the 60s, 70s jams band, you know, kind of just creating music, sitting in a vibe, sitting in a room, and piggybacking off of ideas rather than calculating what songs would happen. And that's what happened on this record. He gets the Neptunes to come back, and he gets Timbaland, who produces a lot of the songs as well. And the sound ends up being mainly R&B, but really diverse. You have songs like Senorita, Latin influence, you have soul, you have dance pop, you have hip-hop features like clips in the first single, Like I Love You, which actually peaked at number 11, so fairly successful hit. Now, the album itself is released on November 5th, 2002, and while Cry Me a River was the second single released on November 25th, it's the first single chosen to 
be released after the album is out. And it takes off from there. It uh, peaked at the position of number three on February 1st, 2003. So literally over 17 years ago now. And it was in the top 10 for a long time, nine straight weeks, total of 20 weeks on the Hot 100 chart overall. So do you guys remember your, I don't know, nine years old in 2003? Do you remember when this was in its run? Nope. I'm going to be completely honest. I did not. Um, and I mean, I don't think it was necessarily meant for me. Like, I, I mean, it's very much kind of Justin Timberlake's, uh, Hey, look at me, adult musician, you know, like it's very, it's very much kind of trying to shed the kid friendly image. I, I sure as hell remember in sync. I remember vaguely hearing this song cause it was huge, but honestly it didn't make an impact to me until several years later after, uh, having really gotten into future sex love sounds. Yeah. I don't think that this was one that resonated with me at the time but resonates with me to this day to a sense but also throughout my life listening to it at different points uh like we said it's one of the biggest breakup songs of all time too so being in the top 10 for nine straight weeks and total of 20 almost half the year not exactly but almost half the year is pretty crazy too so that would mean that this was probably up for some big awards Grammy-wise, but also with things in the future uh, to be recognized for as well, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, we're mentioning how this song is resonating with us after the fact rather than um, in the moment, and that's the sign of a pop song that has a legacy. And it won awards in the time, but also retroactively as well several years later, which I'll run through real quickly. Um, It won the Grammy Award in 2004 for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. Pitchfork ranked it as the third best single of 2003 behind Crazy in Love and Hey Ya. So great company there. And then when we're looking back at decade accolades, uh, this was in several lists. Rolling Stone included it at number 20 on the top 100 songs of the 2000s decade. And Pitchfork ranked it number 65 out of 200 across the 2000s. But out of all the accolades this song received, I think maybe the largest stamp of approval was being selected to be on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. It uh, popped in at number 484 on that list, and that goes back quite a few decades. So to even be mentioned on that list, even on the lower tier, is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, that's out of every song ever made up to that point uh for it to be in the top 500 is just a testament to it but also is well deserved in my opinion absolutely and uh, i think a quote that really describes this moment in justin Timberlake's career after this song is released it, it comes from uh, complex magazine and they said that this song made people completely forget about nsync and start asking about what timberlake would do next so when we think about celebrity that's released you know, in 2001, this is released in 2002, not a little over a year later. And we're already forgetting about one of the greatest boy bands of all time with three huge albums that dominated the charts and have some of the top selling albums of all time. We're forgetting about what they did. And we're just eager to see what Timberlake would do next. And what did he do next? He did a lot. He would appear in one of the most controversial Super Bowl appearances in the next year with Janet Jackson. We don't need to go over that, but it was controversial, believe mm-hmm. me. And then mm-hmm. he would release a lot of albums. He had the critically acclaimed Future Sex Love Sounds in 2006, one of my favorite pop albums of all time, honestly. Yep. The two-part 2020 experience in 2013. 
And then uh, Man of the Woods in 2018, which, I don't know, it wasn't received as well critically, but he's still a pop star and he's still producing music. He's also in the Trolls movies, um, Can't Stop the Feeling, has over a billion plays on Spotify, and is one of the most annoying songs that follows you everywhere. So you can't escape Justin Timberlake, and this was kind of his first mark as a solo artist, and he would be in you know the pop lexicon discussion two decades later. Yeah, not to mention that because of Man of the Woods, or even just intertwined with it, that he also got another Super Bowl appearance out of that, Absolutely. even with the controversy from before. So still huge and still wanted and desired to be on the biggest stage maybe in America too. Yes, a, a very uh, friendly face to America, even though this was his kind of stamp on saying, I want to be uh, recognized as more mature. I'm no longer um, in a boy band. I'm a singular sex symbol. So in terms of legacy, I mean, this song has had influence on other artists. You have Coldplay saying they took the drum beat for Lost. The remix was later featuring Jay-Z. It's a pretty good song in my opinion. Uh, in terms of more popular songs, you have Without Me by Halsey interpolating part of um, the pre-chorus. That song was a huge hit as of two years ago. And a recent artist, Rosalia, samples the Crimea River on her song Baghdad. So a lot oh, of uh, artists are using it as inspiration. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, Chris, you're a big Rosalia fan, I know. A Rosalia. So in terms of like when I look back at this song, I think uh, it's one of the most honest and messy breakup songs of late between two celebrities. And I think an interesting parallel can be made between a more recent uh, pop star duo of Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. Uh, they had a similar fallout. They're both huge stars individually. They came together, um, made music while they were together, and then broke up with Justin Timber, uh, Justin Bieber, excuse me, two Justins. Uh, you have Love Yourself, which is a very petty song, and then Selena Gomez, Lose You to Love Me, which was released uh, earlier this year. And those two songs kind of explain what they're going through in the fallout. And it kind of follows, it's kind of an epilogue to Crimea River. Without Crimea River, I don't think we get these, you know, public breakup songs like we do now. It's kind of, people love the pettiness. See Ariana Grande, Thank You Next. They love that and they eat that up. So I think mm -hmm. Crimea River kind of paved that way for this kiss-off genre to take off like it has. Some would call it shade these days. Shade with a cup of hot scalding tea. Absolutely. Yeah, so in terms of uh, kind of sounds, we've talked about the pop cultural impact today, but this song kind of nailed the nail in the coffin for the pop 2K era. When we think about the late 90s to early 2000s, there's a lot of bubblegum pop with boy bands, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, these former Mickey Mouse Club you know, stars rising up, being, portraying a very friendly, family-friendly pop sound. And they all broke apart in their individual ways, and Justin Timberlake did that uh, very quickly and very successfully, probably more successfully than most. So Crimea River, it shows that pop music and pop stars were here to stay, but it was on the star's own terms. And uh, when you take a look at Toxic, there's an interesting parallel because both artists were pushing back against the literal and figurative choreography that defined their previous success you know they were being told to dance a certain way to portray their image in a certain way and now they're saying no i'm going to make music how i see fit and if that pushes some buttons that's okay and speaking of pushing buttons did justin timberlake's video for crimey river ever push buttons so 
Britney was kind of mad at this, and it's clear to see why. I'll run through very quickly what the music video is about. You should go and watch it. Justin Timberlake rolls up in a car with Timbaland. They roll up to a residence that uh, is a blonde woman who looks a lot like Britney Spears, incidentally. And then uh, they Justin Timberlake goes into the house. He sneaks through. He's doing some dances. He's I don't know if he's in the Matrix or he's still in a boy band, but he's being sneaky and he's dancing while doing so. And then Timberland sends in a mystery woman. The mystery woman and Justin Timberlake film themselves making out in, you know, this other woman's house, which is a completely normal thing to do. And then the really weird part is the Britney Spears lookalike comes back to take a shower, and Justin Timberlake's sitting there just watching her, like a, a major five-star creeper watching her. And he goes up to the shower. Not only is he watching her, he goes up to the shower and says, I'm here. The Britney Spears lookalike opens up the shower, and what is playing on the TV in her sight? It's the video of Justin Timberlake and the mystery woman that Timberland sent in making out. Do you guys think that video is made today in today's day and age? No. <laughs> no. And it's a, it is one of the weirdest videos. I, I um, yeah, I, I honestly completely forgot how fucking uncomfortable it was <laughs> until I was watching it again, uh, you know, for this episode. Um, very much, yeah, would not fly these days for good reason. No, and I think it was controversial at the time, but people were like, wow, Justin Timberlake is totally not in, in sync anymore. This is so edgy. So uh, people kind of ate it up, as they always do, and it's involving two pop stars and drama. Britney Spears was mad at it herself. She said um, that it, um, you know, it wasn't a good look and that he was doing it just for publicity. And Justin Timberlake said the video is not about her. It's about me. So he's being kind of petty about it. And, uh, you know, people love that shade, and they still to to today. Uh, but don't worry, guys. As of two weeks ago, things have appeared to smooth over between Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. So Britney Spears has a very great Instagram. I implore you to check it out. You know, she burned down her gym a few days ago. She announced that. But a few weeks ago, prior to that, um, she uh, filmed a video of herself dancing to Justin Timberlake's recent song, Filthy. And the caption says, P.S., I know we had one of the world's biggest breakups 20 years ago, but hey, the man is a genius. Great song, JT. P.S.S.S.S.S. If you know what's good. And then she puts a winky emoji with more exclamation parts. And Justin Timberlake responds with a great comment. He has a cry laugh emoji and three praising hands. So the wound has appeared to smooth over two decades after this mess, and they are on great terms. And America is healed, and we are all in a better place because of this. A poignant, poignant statement of growth. They have each found their better halves at this point, so very exciting. And while Justin was 22 at the time, you know, when you think about this all went down, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of pettiness, as you mentioned, Stefan. But yeah, I think you realize 20 years later that. Yeah, everything's going to be okay, and things will work out. So glad to hear that they're on good terms. That's what the world needs at this point. Anything else to add about this part, or are we ready to go into the production and the genius that is Justin Timberlake and Timbaland? I'll just mention that pettiness makes great music. As immature as it may be, it's gold. 
sometimes your toxic ex leads to some of the most uh, memorable pop breakup songs of all time. Yeah, and almost like we did this after the Britney song. Hint, hint there as well, too. So let's get into production. Chris, I'm really excited to hear about all the production and the chants and Timbaland and everything in between. So let's kind of break it down and go with someone that we talked about a lot throughout the last four episodes in Timbaland. So let's Mm -hmm. hear what we got regarding the production. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason we're talking about Timbaland so much. Um, the biggest, uh, he's one of the biggest producers at the time, um, if not the biggest. And as, uh, as Stefan kind of mentioned, you know, people would ask for his sound by name because it was, and is still so unique. And I mean, the production on Crimea river is, is, it's pretty timeless in just how, um, <laughs> it, well, you know, we were, uh, we kind of we also talked about how Justin was really going for kind of the organic, non choreographed music um, creation process vibe, and this is a great example. Um, Justin would go on later to talk about, um, you know, I mentioned the whole album was completed in six weeks. Uh, this song was recorded in four hours. Um, it was recorded in four hours and then immediately went to um, went to post production. The the first uh, element that both um, that both Justin and Timbaland would later um, highlight was Timbaland's beatboxing, which forms the percussion and the backbone of the song. Um, and you know what? So I mentioned you know when I was younger, the song never really um, the song never really hit for me the way it does now. But um, it wasn't until uh, you know got a little older, got a little more interested in music, and for that matter, got um, got into uh, Future Sex Love Sounds era, Justin Timberlake, and especially what goes around comes around. Um, you know, you look back and you uh, and you see this this song really spawned its own kind of sound. Um, what's probably most impressive about it to me is that for the first half of the song, um, there's no bass instrument there is a there is kind of a muted bass that comes in halfway through but the entire um first half uses timbaland's voice um he's he's beatboxing a bass line um and the way that they've eq'd and processed his uh his vocals the kicks end up um coming out as as kind of basses they basically um they basically like turned his voice into a mini uh, studio. Now, what else is interesting is that, um, and this is uh, this is something that I wasn't aware of until I was looking up notes for this song. But um, Scott Storch at the time, who is credited as a co-writer um, on this song, was in the he was in the studio at the same time, and uh, both Timbaland and Scott acknowledge um, Scott in some frustrated interviews that. Um, Scott was the one playing the Rhodes piano in the very beginning. And the first two elements recorded of the song were Timbaland's beatboxing and the Rhodes piano. Um, They went ahead and built off of that. Scott would later, um, you know, basically, basically claim being shafted. He wasn't listed as co-producer, just songwriter, Uh, right or wrong. That is, (laughs) you know, kind of, Kind of how that cookie crumbles, but I mean, those are some 
deceptively simple but powerful instrumentation choices um you know you go from there um and one of the other um more striking parts of the song obviously is going to be the strings but also the synthesizer that mirrors the strings um what it, when you listen to the strings you'll hear kind of the digital buzz on top of it um and the way that those two instruments kind of mesh into I mean, it really is just basically a distorted string sound is pretty, uh, I mean, you know, I, I can't think of anything else that does that off the top of my head and certainly not in a pop song. Um, what, you know, Justin comes in and harmonizes around with it. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to hit the notes, but when he says I found out from him and his voice goes up into that falsetto, um, hitting the top of the range of the song and, meshes with the strings vibrato um that's that's pretty i mean that's that's one of those moments that again like he came from a group called in sync but the man really had an ear for harmony um this entire song is very orchestral um uses a lot a lot of riffs we talked about the chants um some gregorian chants that kind of form the intro did timbaland do those as well do you think he I don't know. I I would see that though. Uh, he's a he's obviously well um, well experienced with being able to fit vocals and untraditional vocals into a pop song. Um, so probably. I mean, you know, if I, I would be more curious about when exactly those came into the picture. Um, those as well as the rain slash river sound. Um, I'm not really sure. I don't know, like the water at the very beginning in the intro, I, I that kind of backs those chants and sets the scene. Yeah. I would assume that those both came in later on, but you know they, they don't sound tacked on. Um, and the, well, that's interesting because the rain. Um, if you look at the music video, it's raining throughout the video. It's Justin Timberlake's drenched. He's walking through a downpour to get to this Britney Spears lookalike's house. So maybe it was calculated. That's true. They had the video in mind. Or maybe the video was written off of that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's an option too. I'll tell you what too. Um, what I think, especially getting older and, um, you know, kind of looking with a more critical lens at the song um, from kind of a songwriting standpoint. The So the song is in G sharp minor, um, which is a really interesting key to me. Um G sharp minor is a half step below a minor, which is all white keys on the piano. One of the most standard uh, keys in pop music for obvious reasons. You literally don't need to touch those pesky black keys. And if you just stick to the whites, you're not going to play a wrong note. G sharp minor goes down one half step and ends up encompassing every single black note as well as the B and the E key. So that's every single, um, every single sharp, every single half step note. Um, and and only two of the seven notes are um, are whole notes, which leaves it, which kind of gives it a very melancholy feeling. But it but it still has those whole notes to kind of fall back on. Other famous songs that are in this key, um, you know, kind of end up with a similar vibe. Um, Snow Heyo by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, Heart Shaped Box and Penny Royalty by Nirvana um, and Lights by Ellie Goulding. Um, there's a number of uh, 
there's a number of songs that end up using it. And it's just interesting to me that um, you literally transpose down a half step from the most basic pop um, key, one one for that matter that NSYNC used quite a bit, and end up in this new, almost edgy kind of environment. It's very kind of symbolic of what Justin was going for here. Um, very much in... Pushing ear, the boundary. catching... Well, not even pushing the boundary, but taking something that seems that seems familiar, leaving it in an accessible format, but just shifting it enough that you kind of you kind of perk up and say, oh, "Okay, this is new." Now, Chris, let's back up for a second. I know we've talked about it a lot, but what really broke down with me was that you said that Timbaland and Scott uh, Storch were in the studio, and Timbaland, quote unquote. Didn't get, didn't give credit and maybe stole this as well too. This isn't the first time that Timbaland has actually used stuff without permission. Uh, Big Pimpin, we talked about it last time, but Big Pimpin was one of those where he used the sample without permission. They got sued as well too. So, is it the fact that Timbaland is trying to make these hits and he's like, let's make them and then see what happens afterwards. Or what do well, you let's, think? Let's pull that back. Cause I don't think he stole it. Scott storage played the instrumentation. It's, it's more of a lack of proper accreditation. Again, he does. Well, okay. He does have that makes sense. So, so some would argue he contributed to the songwriting because he contributed a chord progression. He, uh, he he were he was the one that um kind of formed Timbaland's beatboxing. Now Timbaland's beatboxing did have the bass line, so he formed a key out of it. One could say that together they came up with the B sharp uh the G sharp minor progression. Um, but we don't know what happened in terms of the production element. It could well be, you know, and I'm giving Timbaland the benefit of the doubt for the sake of argument, um, that from there on out, all production decisions were Timbaland's, but I would suspect that it was less of a, you know, we got to push Scott down and more of a Timbaland's name is the one that people know of. You got to remember, this is, you know, a few years before Run It. Like, Scott Storch was, he was big, but he wasn't big yet. I uh, I, th- okay. I suspect it was more of that. Um, but it's, okay. it is interesting. I mean, um, he... Uh, you know, um, what one of the things that actually kind of made me make that connection and look into that was his beat battle recently. Um, he uh, <laughs> where he claimed uh, Crimea River <laughs> as one of his songs. Um, so, I That's mean, bold. it is bold um, <laughs> again from a piano from what people have, you know, and he hasn't said, oh, yeah, I did the drums any, anywhere. He's, it's literally just been talking about that piano. Granted, a very iconic piano progression. But anyway, it is interesting. I mean, I feel like when a, when a song is made on this scale and in this kind of context, like kind of kind of brings out um, kind of brings out those sorts of dynamics. One thing I wanted to bring up is, uh, Chris, you know the song Give It To Me, Timbaland, um, Justin Timberlake, and Nelly Furtado. Mm-hmm. So we, we have tie back to this song, Cry Me a River, with two of the people on it associated with this song. Um, Timbaland has the line, I'm a real producer and you just a piano man. Yep. And this verse <laughs> is about Scotch Storch. And I think it's what you just said it's, basically explains yeah. that line. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they kind of... 
that's a whole nother story. Um, they they kind of have a history together. Um, this was kind of at the beginning of their collaboration period. And I mean, I mean, clearly some bad blood stemmed from it. Yeah. And both were had huge, huge, huge hits. I know we talk about Timbaland with, of course, everything in the 2000s. I feel like we've talked about it every time. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But Scott Sorch is all right. We will definitely get to some of his songs that he had that were huge I mean, like you said in his beat battle, even that you were like, man, Scott Storch yeah. had this influence in this huge range uh, as well, too. So any other things that you're thinking about with the production or with anything else surrounding um, Yeah, anything from beatboxing to, to Justin Timberlake to anything with the production? So I, I do want to highlight, um, first of all, before we get off of the actual composition itself, this is one of those songs that... Age it, I I think has aged even better than its two uh, um, than its two follow ups. Um, what what goes around comes around. Um, almost ended up being a direct sequel. Mirrors is um, is a bit more poppy um, and a bit more simplistic, but all of them kind of keep the same uh, orchestral vibe and kind of dramatic standard. Um, but I uh, I think that it I think in no small part to um, Timbaland's signature beatboxing and vocal um, vocal ad libs really I mean he ends up like he ends up kind of putting his mark across the song um, that I think it's it's incredibly fresh from a production standpoint to this day you'll if you listen to it closely you'll hear that they actually. They actually stemmed uh, Timbaland's uh, beatboxing. I think it's his. Um, I think I, I. I can't tell what parts are in what ear, but they they split different parts of his beatboxing <laughs> across each ear, um, and that kind of allows it to have to be as crisp as it is without clashing with itself. The last thing that I that I wanted to mention that's just kind of a interesting little factoid. So um, the outro of the song, which um, by today's standards, goes very long. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, it, it ends up being kind of a breakdown with some background vocals. Cry me, cry me. Um, Timbaland kind of just loops himself out and ends up like even doing like a vinyl slowdown uh, to end the song. But um, what's interesting about that, um, and this was actually revealed just this past month, um, you do you are either y'all familiar with Marsha Ambrosius? I am not. No. So Marsha Ambrosius is from um is from an R and B group, Flowetry, um back in the same era. They had a couple of minor hits, and then since she'd end up having a few um a few solo hits, uh Far Away. Um, she's a great great singer, but she also did quite a bit of uh, background vocal um vocal work and um she posted a video at the beginning of april of her recreating the cry me cry me that literally everyone assumed was justin timberlake for 20 years it's wait that's not justin timberlake it's not justin timberlake that's marcia ambrosius what wow okay so that's um so that was something she tweeted it right after the beat battle with scott storch um really kind of highlights, you know, by nature of how, how much they focused on the, you know, talented people go into a room, we record in four hours and send it to post. Like 
there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for secrets in there. Um, and that was something that <laughs> that hit me like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, um, I, I mean, I uh, apparently she also was on the backing um, of the you don't have to say what you did uh, line in the pre-chorus. Um, I, I, I advise y'all to go back and listen, see. Um, and when you do, you can also hear Timbaland, um, as a backing vocalist, the, which kind of gives it a bit of its character. This song has a lot of backing vocal stacks. Um, but yeah, again, like just, just very much, this song has layers and I, I think you can hear it even to this day. I was just going to say that actually. Yeah. It's an onion. It's, yeah, it is. <laughs> it, an is an onion. Onion. it is crazy how the layers go and make it just one on top of the other on top of the other. And you hear all these things at once. So you don't really think about what is going on Yeah, for, with everything. From an engineering standpoint, it's incredibly mixed. Like nothing in the track clashes despite how maximal it is. Um, I mean, even down to the, even down to the beatboxing, which like, again, you know, you don't even notice when, a, when there's a very subtle, like, it's either it, it might even be a cello. I don't know. It's a really muted bass that comes in to mirror Timbaland's beatbox vocals starts in the second verse. Like it's all just it's very masterfully produced. This is definitely a OK. This is Justin Timberlake. We're making him into Justin Timberlake. He's got something to prove and he's got the he's got the money and collaborators to do it. But I mean, doesn't negate how impressive it is all these years later. Absolutely. So. Anything else you can pick to add, Chris, regarding production or anything else? No, it's a bop. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a bop. That's mm-hmm. a great way to put it. That's so, a summation. Um, yeah, great way to put it. And now we will get into the lyrics. So I will break down some of these lyrics. Um, not all of them, but I will go into pretty good depth on some of them that is going through with this. So like we said in the beginning, you get those Gregorian chants. Um, with Crimea River, um, the kind of sets the tone of everything that's going to be happening. And then JT kind of just goes right into it. So he says, you were my son, you were my earth, but you didn't know all the ways I loved you. No. So that one really stood out to me to start that he's like, hey, I was all in and like you were everything to me in this part of my life. Um, like I said earlier, he's 22 years old. So could have been case of, you know, first true love, first, you know, really big relationship going on. But he is fairly young in his life at this point. So just to come out and be like, hey, we're starting the song off with this for you were everything. You were the sun and my earth. Um, that is, you know, the sun's the middle of the solar system. So that's kind of crazy to think that he would put all that in um, in there, too. And it goes through the first verse. And then we get into that pre-chorus um, that Chris had just talked about before. Um, and he says, you know, the famous lines, you don't have to say what you did. I already know. I found out from him. And like Chris said, he kind of goes up into that falsetto when he says, 
you know, I found out from him. Um, and the other guy actually in this point is Wade J. Robson. And he is a longtime friend and collaborator of both Justin and Brittany. So you kind of have this, you know, friend of the two that you kind of have that crossover. They're all hanging out. Maybe one's on tour. Maybe one's not on tour. You know, maybe vice versa too. But they... it comes down to the fact that Wade probably told Justin before Britney because they were, you know, quote unquote, good friends at the time. So that one always sticks out to me, um, not only for the way that the vocals change, but also because Wade came and said that, you know, I, you know, this happened and this was everything, but he's not mad at Wade. He's mad at Britney at this point too and Wade was you know famous in his own right um as well too um he was so you think you can judge um or so you think you can dance judge and choreographer too um and he's also friends with Michael Jackson so kind of weird that that all comes around too um and he actually testified under oath at Jackson's trial so kind of a weird thing that all that all came together in a sense too we were just talking about Michael Jackson earlier so um that's one of the lines that sticks out to me the most is the final from him line what do you guys think I was always curious who the him was and now I know I just Googled him, and uh, he has similar ramen noodle hair to Justin Timberlake from this era. So uh, I don't know what decisions went into the hair where you had to have frosted tips and blonde hair, but they both shared that aspect of their lives in addition to Britney Spears. uh, Maybe that was Britney's type at the time. I mean, I feel like it was everyone's type. (laughs) Into ramen, man. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, those are, uh, you know, again, like you can – you know, I, I'm drawn mostly to the production, but it's it's a pretty well-written song, too. Yeah, and it's funny how he, he says it's not about Britney, of course, but then you, you have all these things to tie in, too, mm-hmm. um, with everything going on. And then you have the chorus, of course. Told me you love me. Why did you leave me all alone? Now you tell me you need me when you call me on the phone. Girl, I refuse. You must have me confused with some other guy. The bridges have... The bridges were burned. Now it's your time to cry. Cry me a river. Um, and that is huge maximalism when you think about it. You know, of course, you can't cry a river. But it is that point of you and I have broken up. And I hope that you feel bad about it at this point. And I want you to feel bad. And I want you to cry. And it's almost like him saying, I don't feel bad. I'm going to do me. But at the same time, he's like, I hope that you feel shitty at this point. Well, you talked about it earlier. Um, We talked about the trilogy of this song and then what goes around comes around. And this is someone who's clearly still hurt and they want to see hurt in the other person, the crying of the river. And then what goes around comes around. It's kind of acceptance like I'm going to live my life. Whatever the wrongs they did, karma will eventually find a way back to them. So we're still in this, you know, he's 22 years old as the point you brought up. He's kind of young. He just kind of wants to see the other person hurt on the level he has been hurt. Yeah, and it is. Cry Me a River. I mean, he says it over and over again throughout the song, obviously. It's, it's part of the chorus, and it's part of that that I want you to cry and feel bad because I'm not. I'm the victim here, and I am the one that you know has, is feeling this pain as well, but maybe putting in another energy mm-hmm. in that way. Um And then we go into the second verse. So he goes, you know that they say some things are better left unsaid. It wasn't like you only talked to him and you know it. 
don't act like you don't know it. Um, also, kind of that falsetto, he goes up. Um, so kind of the same mimic from the first verse, too. So JT's insinuating that it wasn't just, you know, Wade at this time. It was multiple people that it was going on with, um, too. And he says, and all of these things people told me keep messing with my head, messing with my head, should have picked honesty, then you may not have blown it. Um that is pretty straightforward. He he is pissed in this song. And I think the thing that gets you with this song is it's catchy. The lyrics are good. But when you really dissect them, you're like, holy shit. Like, Justin is, he is pissed. But the way that he's singing it and portraying it is the true pop, you know, formula. And it is a true pop song. But he is really freaking mad in this song and it doesn't really seem like that when you when you hear it but when you really dissect it he is really really mad yeah one interesting thing that just came to my mind is uh you know you mentioned that part don't act like you don't know it where it's falsetto like including that falsetto in the production it kind of it sounds like another person speaking it like in this way of saying a lot of people know it so it's not necessarily just Justin Timberlake it's a chorus of other people saying we yeah. all know what you've been doing. So that was a very intentional point to put the falsetto on that lyric. Yeah, and he is, you know, goes into it again too. And, you know, you get another post-chorus, uh, or excuse me, pre-chorus, and you get another chorus. And then you get into the post-chorus, um, and it's all Timbaland at this point, which, um, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but he is very pitched in this sense. So pitched down, is that correct? He is not necessarily pitched down, but he's got he's got a filter on that's shifting. Um, it's shifting the harmonic frequency of his voice down. So it's kind of a it's almost like doubling his voice with part of his vo- of his vocals pitched down, which is a more complicated way of saying kind of. OK, so so I didn't know the exact word uh, verbiage for it, but it is the pitching or not the pitching down but you know putting that on there um and this actually reminds me of icebox in this part Mm -hmm. um with the i'm so cold it's the same yeah it's the same technique yes so kind of the same thing and i mean he goes oh oh the damage is done so i guess i'll be leaving and the thing is this if this song was put together in four hours which chris said earlier that they're like hey man like you heard about this we're recording it and you're done. Like, that's kind of a, a whole therapy session of things that was going on mm-hmm. uh, during this time. So, you know, you have the bridge again, and then you have the outro um, with him saying, Cry me a river, and he has his parts, but then he does more of the falsetto, high-pitched, you know, cry me, cry me. And it is just that, like, at the end, you're like, Man, I'm feeling for for JT at this point, and it is just this whole therapeutic four hours of lyrics, production, everything that comes to the culmination at the end of this outro, which is very long, but maybe that's what Justin was thinking at this time, that, holy cow, maybe this is going to be a long recovery, and I just need to really let it out at this point. And I'm sure he let it out in other ways, and, you know, it was sad, but this kind of was one big therapy session quick callback um to your point about icebox i just looked it up it is timbaland uh on backing vocals on that song saying the i'm yeah, so cold so, i'm so cold 
maybe Timbaland was he was on to something with this and he used it for more stuff in his future too. So yep. um a lot of lyrics, a lot of pain, a lot of things that really resonate to this day, but um really awesome that he could put this together in four hours and make it the number three song in the country at one point too. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we have broken down all the lyrics, history, production surrounding this song. We are going to do our two segments for today. So the first one we will do will be our most underrated Justin Timberlake songs. We did this with the first episode. Don't have a name for it yet. If you guys have a name, let us know. Um, we're down for naming this segment. But um, let's start with Chris. Give me your most underrated Justin Timberlake song. Let's either do one or two or three. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Chop Me Up. That's uh that's that's an immediate one. Um three six mafia feature on uh Future Sex Love Sounds and Academy Award winning Academy Award winning Three Six Mafia and therefore a lot of Timbaland as well. Um I love that song. That uh it was definitely a MySpace profile song back in the day. Um and then uh it's it it's honestly hard because JT has a I don't want to say deceptively good, but you know, it's he has a really good catalog for a pop for a pop star. You know, um, I really I do want to uh, I think I want to highlight um, prob- probably push your love girl. Um, Amazing song. 2020 really experience. Really good. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the first half of 2020 experience, I think he um he really settled into the groove of those epic, almost 10 minute long songs that, um, you know, he's basically like creating little mini pop operas. So I think those are my picks. Okay. And then Stefan, do you have a song or two or three that you are thinking of for most underrated? Can we classify summer love as an underrated Justin Timberlake song? I'd say so. Uh, Should have been bigger. I, I, yeah. I, I think it charted in the thirties. Um, but that's an amazing song. Um, in terms of like, I think it gets lost in yes. in what the album was. Yes. I think yes. that's part of. If that. we were in two thousand six or two thousand seven, I don't think anybody would classify it as underrated. But now it's kind of lost in that time. Yeah, three um, number ones in a row, and then that. Yes, so it, it was on the tail end of that promotional cycle. Um, really great song, really great production. In terms of like truly underrated, um, I also go back to the first half of the 2020 experience as Chris did. I like uh, Strawberry Bubblegum. It's another like eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes ish song um, that is kind of cheesy, but I'll sing it for you. Strawberry Bubblegum, Blueberry Body, Hi. So you have oh. like uh, fruits. And you also have drug references, and you have love all in the same line. Beautiful. Great song. Great song. Those are my top two. Uh, in terms of three, maybe uh, give it to me. Give me what I don't know, in parentheses, I want. Uh, that was probably the highlight of that second half of the 2020 experience for me. There's a there's a song on Shock Value that's on the tip of my tongue. It's Justin Timberlake, Timbaland, and Fifty Cent that I can't remember, and I will randomly. Was it AO Technology? It was not. I will randomly um, <laughs> say it later. It's not AO Technology, although that's a great song too. Great song. That is a great song. All right. Well, let us know, Chris. So, um, I think that one of my most underrated. It's actually a feature. 
Um, but Can't Believe It remix uh, by T-Pain. So originally had Little Wayne, and then actually um, Justin Timberlake came in, um, and he said uh, the Wisconsin line. So not Wisconsin. He goes, in a cabin somewhere up in Wisconsin. Um, I thought that that was always funny, um, and I actually ended up listening to um, the remix more than the original version once Justin Timberlake did it. So not necessarily his song, but that was one that always was like, I don't think he gets enough credit for actually for this song too. Um, And then I don't know, kind of the same thing with summer love. Um, Take back the night was actually, I think one of his more underrated singles maybe too, or just songs in general. Um, So I really liked take back the night off of the 2020 experience. Um, Like you said, it is that two parter, but there is, you know, some really good songs and some, you know, maybe meh songs, but take back the night was one of those that I think got a little bit, lost in the album hey guess what i was wrong it doesn't have 50 cent on it 50 cent was on the next song on shock value um so i got mixed up but i was thinking of bounce featuring justin timberlake dr dre and missy elliott which is a fantastic hilariously good song yes good song your ass had the hiccups (laughs) (laughs) too so yeah and then i guess one more too would be uh tko is a good uh is a good Justin He's got Timberlake hits. He genuinely underrated. has a I know, great it, catalog. It's hard to say underrated, yeah. but I mean, those would be my top three, I guess, if I had to give three. Yeah, for sure. Um, with that too. So. And we covered all the albums except Man of the Woods, so that says something about Man of the Woods. Yeah, uh, that's, But I did, yeah. I did want to just say <laughs> Filthy is an okay song on that album. It was a pretty good and song. Pretty yeah. Spears was right. It is kind of a bop. The great production. Yeah. Not, not his best, but it's a highlight of that album. Yeah, yeah, we'll say that. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like once you get into, you know, Can't Stop the Feeling, that was for Trolls, I know, too. But like you said, Stefan, that's one that, like, is played even to this day still. So, like, kind of going off of that afterwards, it's you're not going to maybe live up to that. But um, maybe not up to what JT quality we've had in the past. But still, there's some good songs on there, good to decent songs, too. All right, next segment we will get into will be our signature segment, and that would be the top 10 back then. The top 10 back then. The top 10 back then, as always, is brought to you by Ryan Stefan. Please give us the date that this was for, and then go ahead and run through the list for us. All right, all right, all right. We are taking the time machine back to February 1st, 2003. Thank you, Billboard, for allowing us to peek back into the past with your almighty drop-down of dates and years. So we're taking a look at um, February 1st, 2003, and uh, we mentioned that Crimey River peaked to number three. And I want you guys to guess the number one song, and I guarantee you won't get it. And you said 2003? 2003. Holiday Inn by Chingy. Okay, Chris has submitted his guess. Holiday. I don't know. I was like, what's what's the most random number one I could think of from the time? That one sounds good too to me, actually. So I'm gonna go with Holiday Inn by Chingy, Snoop Dogg and Luda. We have two for Holiday Inn by Chingy with Luda, and the number one is Bump 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 B2K oh. and P Diddy. <laughs> B2K. Oh, I forgot okay. about that one. 
the Diddy stimulus, maybe. Yeah, this was the the week that it peaked. It was number two the uh, last week, so um, this was its shining moment, February first, two thousand three. Yeah, that that classic song. Yeah, well, you were right. Yeah, we would never have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll give you credit though. Two K Diddy for number one. All right, number two. Number two. We uh we've mentioned this artist a lot in the last two episodes. Um, she's kind of in this class of pop two K, if you will. It is Christina Aguilera with "Beautiful," oh. and uh, this was the peak for that song. Okay, and then number three, of course, Crimea was "Crimea River." And then go ahead, go through the rest of the list. Number four is an artist I'd love to cover on a future episode when we think about the 2000s. Uh, the song is I'm With You by Avril Lavigne. Maybe not the song yes. that jumps out to me when I think of Avril Lavigne, but nonetheless. That's um, a good song. A classic 2000 artist by 2001 song. Uh, number five is All I Have. We have Jennifer Lopez featuring LL Cool J. Okay. I forgot about that rising. entirely. Number six, we have a classic song, in my opinion, um, kind of foreshadowing. Oh, three, Bonnie and Clyde by the future lovebirds, Jay-Z and Beyonce Knowles. Oh, okay. Number seven, Air Force One's Nelly. Yes, <laughs> classic song. He still gets sent Air Force One's to this day. And actually, I want to bring up that ASAP Rocky said that he made Air Force One's popular. He, he mentioned that a couple weeks ago. And it wasn't him. It was Nelly. Um, and Nelly did make the Air Force Ones cool. And great song. He he literally put that. He goes, I'm the reason that people wear Air Force Ones to this day. Yeah, people are t- like, do you remember Nelly? That's a take. That is slander. It is. But, hey, give Nelly his due. That song is not even the best Nelly song, but it is an incredible song in its own right. You heard it here first, folks. Air Force Ones, we give trip. Uh, credit to Nelly. So number eight, we have Mesmerized Ja Rule featuring Ashanti. Classic. A great one. Where's Ja? Where is he? Ja Rule featuring Ashanti, yeah. Uh, number nine, we have Lose Yourself, Eminem. This was a number one song, and it was on its uh, downswing. But uh, yeah, this is an iconic song for that decade. Mm-hmm. Number ten, Miss You, Aaliyah. Mm. Sad. Rest wow. in peace. Yeah, that is sad. So this was after she passed. Yes, a, a few years, right? In 2001? Yeah, she passed in 2001, so this like is right like... Right before 9-11, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, we talk a lot about how, you know, people's music gets released past their death now, but even then, like, top 10 hit out of that. Yeah, yeah several years posthumously. Posthumously. Yeah, so... All right, so let's run through it one more time from the top. Give us one through ten. Um, again, we will update these in our top ten back then playlist. So you want to go listen to them. You know, get about forty to fifty minutes of playtime and get some nostalgia. But Stefan, run through them one more time for us. All right, at number one we have Bump, 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 B2K and P Diddy, as he was known as at the time. Number two we have Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. Number three, we have the song that is featured in this lovely episode, Crimey River by Justin Timberlake. Number four, I'm With You by Avril Lavigne. Number five, All I Have, Jennifer Lopez featuring LL Cool J. Number six, we have O3, Bonnie and Clyde, Jay-Z featuring Beyonce Knowles. Number seven, 
Air Force Ones. It is a Nelly song with some features that I will not butch the names of. Number eight, we have Mesmerize, Ja Rule featuring Ashanti. Number nine, we have Lose Yourself, Eminem. And rounding out the top ten at number ten, Miss You by Aaliyah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good top ten. Mm-hmm. And actually, just wanted to mention that we talked about the death of the boy band, but B2K was the number one song in the country when Crime River was number three. Which is a so very ironic thing. <laughs> consider it that. Is. It is very ironic. But, I mean, still the dissension of the boy band, but had a boy band at number one still even then. So Boy um, bands will never die. I mean, they will ebb and flow. I mean, we have BTS right now, which is a huge sensation, and we have... Uh, One Direction and The Wanted a few years ago. And we will have more to come. But uh, yeah, the the peak of NSYNC, I think, uh, outmatches all of those mentioned. Completely agree. All right. Once again, that will wrap it up for another episode of Over My Head, A Look Back at Pop's Past, brought to you by the Los Lovely Boys. If you want to hear our episodes as they drop, please subscribe, download, and listen wherever you listen to podcasts most. Go ahead and drop us a five-star review, and then definitely rate everything else that you can do for us. If you want to add your input on this song, want to suggest songs to look into, or just want to give us general feedback, you can email us at LLC at gmail.com. Also, please go follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter is where we are most to get the latest on what's going on and our behind-the-scenes action. But for my co-host, Kristen Steffen, hope we weren't too far in over our heads on this one. We'll see you next time.